you can always ask, what are the top three things? What are your favorite three things? What are the top 10 things? You can ask that and they'll offer it, but you've cheated yourself out of the opportunity to know what's most important to them because you're going to weigh everything you hear equally by default, or you're going to pick the thing you resonate with the most and you're going to automatically place your importance on it. And that's what you hear, not what they intended. Right. So So you're in it. You're inadvertently applying some assumptions or, or your own personal bias when you ask for more than one thing. Right. And what's interesting is, is we place assumptions wherever we lack accurate information 100% of the time. So why leave yourself open for that? If you ask for one thing, it actually gives you the opportunity to have a really rich conversation on the thing that is most important or meaningful or whatever it is you ask for from the other person's perspective. Successful brands are rooted in purpose and driven by the potential to make a positive impact on their customers. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose with Amy Austin. Each week, Amy brings you practical advice to embrace the power of purpose in all aspects of your business and transform it into the central storyline for your branding and marketing strategies. Welcome to today's episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. My guest today is Carol Stizza, and she has just released a book called The Ask Framework. And so we're going to chat a little bit about what that means. So Carol, thank you for your time this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Can you tell me, what do you mean by The Ask Framework? What's that all about? So The Ask Framework actually came out of the realization that I wasn't very good at asking questions. I was very good at demanding answers, but I wasn't as good at asking questions. And the two are very different. And we see this at work a lot. Demanding answers causes friction and shuts people down. Where asking questions opens people up and provides you information you couldn't get on your own. When I was working in my human resource roles in different organizations, performance reviews and feedback always came up as a contentious opportunity between leaders and employees. And so I started doing research on how to train leaders to provide better performance reviews. And what I quickly learned was I needed to be researching how to give good feedback. And that led me to some really interesting Harvard research of why feedback is in the top five conversations, the most conflicting experiences at work. And they were also doing research on feedback and found that if you can teach people how to ask for what they want when they need it and in a way that is professional, then they automatically know how to give better feedback without the personal um, drama that we associate with it so often. So the ask framework came out of teaching people how to ask for the feedback they wanted it when they needed it and when they could use it in a way that made them them and the receiver of those questions both look great. So as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, where was this when I was having regular performance appro- <laughs> performance reviews? Because those were a source of such anxiety. Mm-hmm. 
So you're telling me that if I would have known how to ask for what I needed better, I could have had a better experience in those performance reviews and maybe yes. had a lot less anxiety. Yes, and. I'm going to do yes, and. Giving yourself permission to ask better questions during a performance review seems to be the first step. A lot of people go into a performance re review just like they go into a job interview as if they're there just to answer questions or receive information and, and leave. And so feeling like, like it's not a place for them to be able to ask a question. Right. So that needs to change. So I've done the research on why that hasn't changed. And interestingly enough, they depend on HR to give them a form to fill out and they just go over the form together. There's not a lot of training or thought put into it because there's not a lot of training or thought that goes into when someone gets promoted to a manager, they take the manager promotion with the pay and the title and their ego gets a little bit of a boost and somebody forgets to tell them that their job has changed. You, you go from doing what you did is to be a rock star and now your job is taking care of people. And if they knew that, half the people would say, mm, no, I don't want that promotion. I want to stay doing what I do so well. Um, I want to have a parallel track. I'll be an expert. You guys can go over there and lead people. With the lack of that job change also goes a lack of training in how to give good information to develop your people in such a way that they like your leadership. And so Gallup just came out with a really great report that gave the data behind managers being the core of who carries the culture and who actually carries the leadership tone that you need. If you don't pay attention to them, you're already losing the game of succession planning and keeping the right talent. So back to that performance review instance, if you knew you could walk in and this is a performance conversation, not a look backwards, but a conversation about what's going right and what are growth opportunities, that's what the person going in thinks it is, but the person giving it just thinks it's a report card and yeah. an opportunity to say, here's what we want you to do better. And they sometimes often don't even bother to tell them what they're already doing really, really well. So I'll give you an example. A lot of performance reviews have a rating, zero to five, zero to 10. It's always going to be um, a set of numbers where you're not going to have a neutral middle. You have to be one side or the other of a middle. And you'll go in and let's say that you are expecting that at least 75% of what you do, you're going to get the highest mark because you're busting your butt. There's always going to be things you could do better, but you're really doing the core bunch of work that you think you're doing. And you walk into their, the office and whoever has filled out their form, you gave yourself all fives, at least 75% of them are fives. And they gave you 75% of them all fours. And you're like, what? They don't think I'm doing a good enough job. If you don't step into a better conversation and ask better questions, for example, hey, the context is I see our ratings are different. What's the one thing I can do to move your fours to my fives? And can you give me an example of what that looks like? And you may learn that the person never gives fives, that fours are it for them. So there's been a miscommunication from whoever's sending the forms out that don't bother going to a five. Or you may learn 
that what they see may not be evident for them. And so it's a conversation for you to say, oh, you just don't see me when I'm doing that between four and five at night because you're already home. Or you don't see me doing that between seven and eight because you're coming in at eight. Or you don't see it because you're in a different division or hallway. There are better conversations to put people on a level professional plane of what success looks like than what is being practiced. Mm-hmm. So when I sit down with somebody and I'm coaching, especially mid-level leaders who are seeking their way up to the executive role to include executives who are really looking to um, increase engagement, asking questions is new to them. And so I wondered, why is that new to them at this level? And what was really intriguing is that the research that's come up in communication and styles of work is the fact that the game of school does not relate to the game of work. And here's what I mean by that. In school, you are taught to memorize and regurgitate, that asking questions means you didn't do your homework, that asking questions means that you know you're just you didn't know you didn't gain all the information we needed you to. And we've done that because we teach to the test. Now, scores at school correlate well with scores in college, right? If you're doing really well and you're getting these top GPAs in high school, you're going to do the same in college, most likely. But it doesn't transfer over into work. In fact, the people who are changing the world, if you look at all the billionaires in America alone, their average GPA was 2.9 if they finished school. Most of them did not. So then we look back going, okay, the people who are really good academically, when they get to work, they learn the rules that are given to them and they settle in. They're not changing the world. The people changing the world are those people who are questioning everything mm-hmm. and critically analyzing. So the moral of that quick story was help your kid find out what they love in school and let them do it and maintain whatever they need for the rest of the grades because we reward specialties at work. We don't reward people for being good average across the board. We reward them for specialties. So when I needed to sit down and ask why leaders weren't asking questions, it came from the way we're trained in school and college. I was never trained to ask questions. What do you mean ask questions? And I go, oh, right. Well, if you're, you know, so that's like that, you said, asking questions is a sign that you don't understand something or that you didn't do the work. It it takes on the negative connotation of that you don't know something. And if yes. you just remain quiet you're you're subtly agreeing to mm-hmm. what's being said or done around right. you. But we also have the data that good leaders are good listeners. What are they listening to if they're not asking questions? So then you look to people who are good listeners and they do ask questions. That's all they do all day is ask questions. But that's not as celebrated as the fact that they're listening. And so we, we haven't advertised the whole equation. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. <laughs> I know. I've just been fascinated every step of the way that when I was asking you, well, why do we do that? What, what could we be doing? How did they think that's working? It was just these interesting areas to explore that we aren't advertising 
to people to give them better tools. And so when I went to look, are there books on asking questions, they pertained to sales, to you know, figure out if you're, you know, to relate your client to your product. And that was about as far as it went. However, one piece of research that I thought was very invaluable is that the best people in sales ask more questions than they offer information. In fact, they actually ask up to 11 to 14 questions interspersed throughout the conversation and easily walk a client to connect with the product without even having to sell it. And I go, that's the beauty of asking questions because people want to see, feel seen, heard, and valued. And the only way to do that is to ask them for information for them to offer it and feel connected through offering that information. Right. That's really interesting, especially the sales reference. It has me thinking about sales is often something that people really struggle with. The other people who get taught to ask questions are litigators, doctors, and teachers. But teachers ask up to, on average, 400 questions a day to assess if learning is happening, but not to encourage critical thinking or more questions. Doctors ask just initial questions until they feel as if they've hit the level where their knowledge can be imparted. Litigators ask questions so they understand how to respond and when. So there's always an agenda to those questions. Sales is the only place where questions are taught to actually learn, even though the agenda is to understand the client's connection to the product better, there's more learning there than in teaching doctors or litigation. So I, I really found that the way, the reason we teach is to align with an agenda. But what if, what if the agenda was just to learn about what you're doing right? And every single time I bring that up, every kind of gives me this pause and the deer and headlight look like, what do you mean? Ask for what I'm doing right. Doesn't it sound egotistical or boastful or, you know, like I'm needy or need validation? I said, no. Not if you do it in a specific way that makes the other person look good. So how do you do that, Carol? That was another fun adventure into what sets up a conversation for the, the highest level of success. And what I found were uh, four things. One was take a moment and clearly state what the context of the question is about. Say, hey, I'd like a few minutes to talk about yesterday's meeting. Be specific. And you can even be more specific. I, hey, I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about yesterday's meeting when I presented the data to you. That's the context. And the reason you do that is the other person, you don't know where their head is. Mm -hmm. You don't know if they're trying to figure out the day's carpool schedule for their kid's soccer or why their revenue statement didn't balance that morning. You have no idea where people's heads are. And we think so much faster than we talk. You, the context actually kind of throws up a sign and allows them to stop what they're thinking about and get to the same page as you. The second one is when you ask for something or offer something, only offer one thing, meaning ask for one thing or ask for the most, the most meaningful, the most important, the most challenging, the number one thing you could do. The number one thing you should never do, whatever it is, it needs to be one thing. And the reason is the way our brains work. In neuroscience, yeah, we could juggle three topics at one point in time, but you can only focus on one at a time. 
And I, I use the example of if you're walking into work and you're carrying your hot beverage and a stack of papers and you've got a backpack on, you're multitasking. You know what you're carrying. You've got the hot beverage. You know you've got your stuff in the backpack. The moment anything changes, you start to spill the hot beverage. Somebody jog, jogs your elbow and you start to lose what you're carrying or your backpack gets stuck on the handle of the door. You only focus on that one thing, period. You, you stop focusing on anything else. And that's just how the brain works. So if you can say, hey, what's the most important piece of data I offered you yesterday? That literally allows the kind of like their brains to part and they just pop right up. The most important thing, top of mind, here you go. And the reason that's important, you can always ask, what are the top three things? What are your favorite three things? What are the top 10 things? You can ask that and they'll offer it, but you've cheated yourself out of the opportunity to know what's most important to them because you're going to weigh everything you hear equally by default, or you're going to pick the thing you resonate with the most and you're going to automatically place your importance on it. And that's what you hear, not what they intended. Right. So, so you're in a you're inadvertently applying some assumptions or, or your own personal bias when you ask for more than one thing. Right. And what's interesting is, is we place assumptions wherever we lack accurate information 100% of the time. So why leave yourself open for that? If you ask for one thing, it actually gives you the opportunity to have a really rich conversation on the thing that is most important or meaningful or whatever it is you ask for from the other person's perspective. The third part of that is ask for an example of how they see it, how they experience it. For example, they gave you the one piece of data that was most meaningful for them. And you say, ooh, can you give me an example of how you're gonna be using that data or how that data influences what you're doing now? And you get to see the world through their eyes for the first time. And now you know what they identify with, what they look for. The context, the one thing in example is this beautiful trifecta of a great question, a great ask. But let's say that you wanna keep it going. The next thing you probably wanna go is why that data, right? That you're like, what? But as I learned through the brilliant FBI agent, Chris Voss, who wrote the book, Never Split the Difference, you don't want to ask why, because why actually stops the brain from moving forward? Why makes people defend and makes it go backwards? They start defending their thoughts, their actions, their reasons, and the conversation will go nowhere because now they're on the defensive. And Chris Voss said the, the best way to get to know someone's why is to ask what and how questions. So that fourth piece, don't ask why. Even when you want to, like, why did you do that? Why do you think that? Ask what is it that you feel that data does for you? How is that data really making that big of a difference for you? I'll just do a caveat here. For those who get to listen to this who have teenagers at home, <laughs> this four-piece framework is brilliant because teenagers desperately want to be seen and heard. And the context if you state it and they're there with you, they feel seen, they feel included. Like you really want this to be successful. You've stated, hey, I wanna to talk to you about you know, that event yesterday after school. Okay, they're gonna suddenly be on the defensive. They're used to this. What was the one thing that you enjoyed the most out of it? What's the one thing that you felt challenged you the most? What's the one thing? And suddenly they go, they'll go, I don't know. I'm like, okay, 
when you do figure it out, I'd love to know. And I'd like to know what it was like to experience that from your point of view. That's the example part. But what if they do have an answer and you get to ask that example? Then you can say, well, how does that factor in what you do today? Or what did you wanna see happen instead? If you start asking those what and how questions to your teenagers, you're getting to step into a non-defensive conversation where they feel as if you're looking at them fresh with new eyes for the first time. And they'll start to enjoy talking with you because you're not putting them on the defensive. You're not demanding, why do they think that way? Why they do that? It's a great time to start to see them. Now, if I bring this back to the work example, or even as a parent example, when you're trying to build someone up and develop them, this is when you get to go, hey, I'd like to tell you about last week's meeting that I got to see you in. The one thing I saw you do really well was this. You know how I know that? I saw the client light up. How would you like to do that, the same thing in the next meeting? What can I do to support you to keep that going? You can do this for teenagers. I wanna to talk to you about you know, that, that game that we watched the other last Saturday. What's the one thing you like the most out of it? How do you see that when you, when you see this game with your friends? How do you talk about it with your friends? These four pieces of a, of a great ask, a great can become four pieces of a great conversation when you're delivering information too. So it had this beautiful mirror effect and can work in work and outside of work. That's really powerful, Carol. How as a leader or manager, how can you build this into your routine? I mean, what's mm. the, you know, I think we get into that rut of this is how we've always done it. So now we see something that we want to, or we hear about this and we think, okay, I want to apply this. How do I get myself into that mindset of, of doing it every time? And how mm. do I know when I've done it well? <laughs> well, I'll kind of go backwards. Uh, you'll know you've done it well when you enter into a great conversation when both parties are talking and asking questions of each other or open and being very non-judgmental and just curious. For example, the last time I, I used this myself, I was working with a client and they had shared an event. And I said, well, about that event, let's just stay right there. What was most meaningful for you in that event? And they shared that and they said, well, this was, and I said, share with me how you felt, you saw that you experienced it, you know, bring me to that moment. And they did. And by doing that, they discovered something about themselves as if they were watching it from their own perspective, recapping it, the whole event. And I, and then I was able to say, what stands out for you? And they're like, oh my God, you know, so this has I've started to incorporate this in my coaching practice, which a lot of coaches do ask questions to help the person see things differently. And I'll go to your second question, which is how do I do this regularly? It's like any habit. So I often challenge my, the, the readers of this book, try it once a day, pick something, pick a person, pick an event, pick a project, um, pick your spouse, pick a teenager, pick anybody. Think about what it is you really want to know. Pick the context, pick the question you'd like to ask and, and let it and see where it goes. 
And then to your first question, which was, we've done things the way we've always done it. I'd say, start there. The context is, we've always done it this way. What's one thing we could change to make it better? How do you see that actually playing out? And you ask that to everybody who does it. If you're trying to establish a new angle of a process or procedure that you've built in, so performance review. If you're going to go in the performance review, what's one question you really want to ask of your boss or of your employee? I have been helping one of my clients establish interview processes because my background is in human resources. And one of the questions I like to ask candidates, other than the typical resume questions, is what's the one thing you're most proud of on your resume? I want to hear from them. It doesn't have to be recent. Doesn't it? What is, what is one thing that you're most proud of on your resume? Because I get to see where their motivation for new efforts come from. Because they're going to always remember the success of that. That's what they're pulling from. It's a way of learning what's motivating them for, for their actions in this role that you might be looking at. So just start where you are. If you just want to question a process or a procedure, start there. If you want to incorporate this into your life and play with it, pick a person a day, play with it. This is one of those great experiments. All habits have that great entrance ramp of how is it going to fit for you. And it doesn't always have to be in sequence of context. One thing, example, um, you know, don't ask why. It can be, can you give me an example of yesterday's meeting with the data I presented? What's the most important piece of data? You can mush these together, but the four parts are the things you want to gain from it. It's your checklist. It's have I set this conversation up for success with context? What's the one thing I could ask that's going to open this conversation to what's really important? Can I ask what it looks like from their perspective or share what it looks like from mine so that we understand how, how differently we see things and learn? Mm-hmm. Um, does that help answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think it's important to remember too, like if you are in a situation of a, a performance review, that the person doing the review may use the same framework as what you, as the person being reviewed, has the opportunity to use the framework back to them. Yes, exactly. And the funny thing is, you never recognize it. I do this with my family all the time. And they don't go, okay, she stated the context and she asked for the one thing. Now she's going to ask. Me. They don't. It's gotten to the point where I'm like, hey, I'd, I'd love to just pick your brain for a moment on the vacation we talked about. If we were to do this vacation, what is the most meaningful thing you want to get out of it? And, and how would you recognize that? How will I know that that's working for you? It just becomes a great ask. Mm-hmm. You know, what can I make sure to do to make that happen? How would you know it's going to happen for you? Um, it's, I'm working too to create habits because we all, here's the thing we all will forget. We'll forget to state the context because we assume everything's like we do. Why wouldn't you know I'm going to ask about the lamp because I'm looking at it? Well, they're not looking at me. They're looking at it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, everybody forgets the context. And then we're so conditioned, like, what's your top three favorites? What's your top five? Because we want options. Well, that's very selfish of you. You want options. 
It's not actually gaining what's the most important or the most meaningful or the most of anything from the other person's perspective. So often we'll forget that one thing matters more than the choices. And then you get so happy with an answer, you go away forgetting to ask for the example of what it looks like from their perspective. And that's been very an interesting challenge for me too. I'm no different. You, you ask a question, get an answer. Sweet, check that box, walk away. And then I have to turn around like, wait, there's a part I haven't learned yet. How do you experience that? Share with me what that looks like through your eyes. And I have learned things I would have never guessed on my own. I've been shocked pleasantly most of the time of what they recognize, what they look like, look for, or what they're even seeing. In my initial way of playing with this, I asked my husband, hey, the last time we went on a date, what was the moment where you were really having a good time, when you knew you were having a good time? And he gave me an answer that I would have lost money on. <laughs> I, I was like, what? I go, well, share with me how that looks through your eyes. I learned stuff I never learned. Like, this is how he looks at a room. This is how he looks at a crowd. This is what he looks for. This is the moment that he recognizes that he's, yeah, I'm in this. This is good. I can relax and have a good time. And we'd been married for 35 years at that point. And I'm like, whoa, how much more do I not know? Wow. Yeah. And so there's richness in asking questions this way that allows you to share and be shared with information, especially when you're asking for what you're doing right. And before we run out of time, when you ask for something you're doing right, it's not like, hey, I want to talk about me. What's the best thing I do? And how do you see it? It's not that. It's you specific. When we're working together, can I ask you about the last project we worked together on? What was the most meaningful thing that you got out of working together with me? And can you share with me how you experienced our time together? What should I remember about that that I should carry into all my interactions? How would you recognize I'm doing that with somebody else? That's how you find out how other people perceive you, what you should never stop doing, what they brag about when Mm -hmm. you're not in the room. These are the things that we all need to know so we can actually speak to our value when we have to negotiate a salary or go into a performance review ourselves or go to a job interview or try and gain a new client. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what you were just saying there, the, the first thing that went through my mind as you were recapping that it's not about me, it's how can we, you know, what was good about how we work together or I thought this should be the way that we write all of our our feedback forms. Like when when you're wrapping up with a client and you want to send them, you know, a, an exit survey for lack of a better way to describe it, but something that allows them to give you some good feedback of what was it like to work with me? What was the most impactful and meaningful for you in the working relationship that we had? Because I may think it would be something completely different than what a client would. And so, you know, I honestly think I will replay that section and look at how can I, 
how can I incorporate some of what you said or, or reframe some of those questions that I currently have on an, on a follow-up survey to my past clients to be able to get better feedback and leverage that tool differently and more effectively than what I currently do. It can only enhance what you get to learn or, or gain from clients. And they, clients love to be given specifics where they know they can successfully step into it. You know, if you were to ask, what's the top three things? They're like, well, I just remember one really well. So if you ask for what was the most meaningful or the best return on investment that, that you got out of working together or anything, whatever it is, make it pivotal to one point. What's interesting is you're, you can also in a different segment saying we always have opportunities to grow. What is one area of growth you would, you could see us doing successfully you can guide that question, by the way. You saw how I did that? Mm-hmm. Yep. That you see us doing successfully. Don't set us up for failure. Here's what we can do. Um, and how would you recognize a company that does that? What does that look like for you? Because we like to always revert back and say, well, how can I improve? Assuming that they're going to tell you what you're doing right. And then your areas of growth, which they don't do. They just go, oh, well, you can do this and this and this. And you've lost the value of the conversation. You always can ask for a place to grow. And that's based again in neuroscience is that our brains are only scanning the, in the universe for two things. One is how do we, where are we respected and accepted and loved? Or what do we need to learn next? So let's take social media as an example. We scroll social media to find where we connect. Mm-hmm. Or we'll scroll social media, what do we admire? And we want to go learn how to be in that group. So I call it the love and learn concept. Our brains are always looking for where am I accepted, respected, and loved, or what do I need to learn next? We don't have space in our brain for what do we do wrong? What we're asking is where can I learn next? But we phrased it in how do I improve from our school years? Is how do I get the better grade? How do I do better? That's all we've brought over to the work environment. How do I improve? And what happens is we ask that all the time and we just get more crap to do without being validated for what we're already doing well. And so many times in trying to answer all these, how do I improve suggestions? We stop doing what we do so well and we disrupt the cart and we drive up our own anxiety and we disrupt what was good. This was a way to change that and let people have people know they have permission to ask what they're doing right stop people from giving them more than one thing and then honoring the information with the space your brain needs to incorporate it before you get to learn about a new area of growth. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So there's so much, there's so much to this in four simple steps, right? I mean, we can take so much away from from these steps of, of asking better questions. There is and there isn't. Because just like anything that's got, you know, parts, you go, oh, sweet, there's parts. It's the meaning you place in them mm-hmm. that can get complicated. So I really coach people to not put emotions with them, but be specific with what you want to know and be open. 
ask the question in a way that you're going to get the information you want and accept it. Now, I say that with one caveat. I am giving everybody permission to stop the do-gooders of the world who want to give you more than one piece of information. And here's what I mean by that. You go to someone, I go to you, Amy. I loved working together on our package. What was the one thing that you enjoyed the most from working together? And you tell me, can you give me an example of what that looked like from your perspective? And you tell me, I go, that's awesome to know. Thank you very much. And you go, oh, but I have, I have another thing I want to offer you about, you know, where you could improve. And I, and I'm going to go, oh, wow, that's awesome. But not today. I only have room for one thing. But now that you've offered it, I know I can come back. Can I come back when I'm ready? Mm. And you go, well, sure. You feel important. I, you've got more purpose. I'm giving everybody permission to ask and get what they need and stop the rest and come back another day when they're ready. Because the brain can only honor one thing at a time, too. That makes sense. Because if you do allow them to go on to that next thing, that's going to be what becomes top of mind. And that's what you're going to remember and take away from the conversation. Right. And you're going to have lost all of that positive that you had to begin with that, that you need, as you say, to be able to honor right. and reflect on and, and embrace it and, and recognize it as the truth that it was. I, I call those stopping the yes buts. Like, yes, you did this great, but you could do this too. You could do this next. And you need to keep the conversation in a yes and mindset. So feel free. And even if they want to say, oh, and here's another thing you do really well, go ahead and stop that too. And here's why. We've all had someone come and say, man, that outfit looks amazing on you. And you can spend the whole day going, what well, must be the color? It must be a thing. I should get more like this, right? You unpack it all day. It's an awesome seed for unpacking something good. But if somebody came up to you and said, man, that outfit looks great. Oh, and those shoes. And did you get your hair cut? Your next thought is what do they want? Yeah, because you feel like they're buttering you up. Right. We marginalize the multiples. And we weigh them equally. And then we doubt their authenticity. Mm-hmm. But if you leave it to one thing, that is rich. That is meaningful. Because if they only could tell me one thing, they'll tell you the most important. That's very powerful. So I think, I think that's the perfect place to, to wrap up. Carol, I didn't have you introduce yourself to, to begin with, and I do that on purpose so that we can get into the, the heart of the conversation. But if you could just take a moment and share just a little bit about who you are and how my listeners can find you um, and how they can find your book, I'd really appreciate that. Sure. Happy to. So I have had a, a wonderful, rich working career um, supporting my husband's active duty military life. So I've moved around the United States, having to step into new roles and defend my own value a lot. Um, and what that has provided me with is uh, just a rich collection of experiences across the United States. Every state has their own culture, which has been brilliant. A lot of those roles 
were HR roles. They fell under the HR umbrella. So I'm a senior HR professional with a lot of background information on what people need from leadership the most. So I get to coach leaders now as an executive coach with no hidden agenda, no do it my way, really from an employee advocate position. So leaders have a tendency to listen when I can advocate what the employees are thinking really well. So now I'm located out of Colorado near the mountains and loving it. I do have a website. My company name is Relevant Insight Executive Coaching. So it's relevant-insight.com. They can go to Amazon and leave a look up my name. You can Google my name, Carol with an E, C-A-R-O-L-E. And the last name is unforgettable. It's Stizza, spelled just like pizza, S-T-I-Z-Z-A. But you can go on Amazon and look for the Ask Framework and it should pop up because I don't have a whole lot of competitors in the asking about work questions out there. There's a lot of sales, asking questions, conversations, but mine stands out all by itself right now. I'm very proud of that. I didn't see a whole lot of information on this already being written. On that note, you actually can go to LinkedIn and join me on LinkedIn underneath my name, Carol Stizza. And I look forward to connecting with anyone who has a question about this um, or has any question about leadership at work. Great. And I will put links to all of those things on the show notes page on my website when this episode is released. So Thank you, Carol, so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Well, I've, I always enjoy time with you. So this was really a, a nice piece of cake in my day. Wonderful. I enjoy it too. Thanks, Carol. A big part of the work I do with clients is helping them achieve clarity. What is important to them? Why they do the work they do? What problem do they solve for their clients? Why does their brand exist? These are just a few examples. And when they find clarity in their brand, their business, and the role they play in its success, they find confidence. Confidence to do what is necessary to achieve their next goal, the growth objective, make the next sale. Hesitation and uncertainty are now a thing of the past. Clarity results in focus in the form of confidence. It's very difficult to avoid distraction when you're not extremely clear on what you'd rather be doing. That quote from Jocelyn Glee really sums up what I do. So my question to you is what distracts you? And if you need help with that, maybe a marketing director on call session is just what you need to jumpstart some action. These Hour-long sessions are laser-focused on your needs and results in an action plan and resources to make things happen. Message me if you're interested in scheduling a discovery call. This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. Head over to amyaustinmarketing.com for links and resources mentioned in today's show, as well as ways to subscribe and connect with Amy. Thanks for listening.